Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hey, and thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 249. And around our Zoom table this morning, we have our writer, two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello, everyone. The keeper of all new car knowledge. Our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Hey, hey. And our very special guest, and we're delighted to have him back with us again, our auto parts expert, our online auto parts expert, I might add, Tom Taylor. Tom, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, John? Very good. Do you have the snow we do out here in the east? Yep. Yeah, I think it's pretty much all over the country right now. Amazing. It's been an amazing winter. I mean, the worst in years. We got a lot to talk about, and Tom, we're going to basically aim a couple of the topics directly to you. We also want to talk about the uh, new Chevrolet Bolt uh, EB and EUV, the uh, first uh, GM utility uh, that's all electric. We have a lightning round, a viewer question. We'll see if anybody's got any rant and raves, but right at the top, and guys, you can certainly join in here if you've got uh, an experience. I don't think any new technology has caused us more headaches, but at the same time, been more beneficial than the uh, tire pressure monitoring systems that I guess have been on the cars now for what, 10 years, more? Um, But I think a lot of people are very frustrated with them. They don't understand there's more than one type. From your standpoint, Tom, what's your observations about TPMS? What kind of types are there? Kind of give us a primer on what we're looking at here and what the problems can be. Okay, there's really two primary systems. The one that's most common is you have an air pressure sensor that's actually in the, in the tire. It's usually the valve stem. And, and that's broadcasting a signal to the car telling what the air pressure is. The, uh, mm-hmm. the downside to those is they are run by a battery so that depending on where you live, that battery may last five years, it may last eight years, depending on the, how hot or cool it is in your area. But you're eventually gonna have to replace, take the tire off and replace that, that valve stem. So that's the downside to, to those systems. And that's expensive generally, isn't it? Um, not if you do it when you get new tires. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the cost of taking the tire off and putting it back on and rebalancing the wheel is a lot of the cost. Uh, and if you, the, uh, if you, the, the key thing is read the owner's manual so you understand your system. If you go to the tire dealer and you have a new set of TPMS sensors with you and you understand, okay, yeah. all I need to do is have these installed and, and drive the car 10 miles and the system resets, the tires will most likely be very happy. And it's no harder for them to install the, the sensor than it is to install a new valve stem. But if you go there and you you, you have you don't understand the system at all, you uh, the tire store has to explain it to you. They have to uh, find new valve stem, new um, sensors for you, which they have to spend time and, and effort to do. If they have to explain, okay, this is the relearning system for your car. We need to hook up this this computer, or you need to drive so many miles, and that's time for them. So it's better if you if you go to the Hmm. If you understand your system, for a lot of reasons, it's better if you understand your system before you go to the tire store, before the warning light comes on. The, the second system, and, and car manufacturers have switched back and forth between the systems or may have one type of system on one model and a different type on another model, uses the, the speed sensors, the wheel speed sensors that are used for analog brakes and traction control and a bunch of things on the car. 
there is no air pressure sensor in the tire, or, or nothing in the wheel. It's all the speed sensor. And it, it was, it, it's not really measuring, it's not measuring all the air pressure, it's measuring the circumference of the tire. Mm -hmm. If the circumference of the tire shrinks, then the speed changes for that tire compared to the others. And the warning light, the computer says, okay, maybe it's a, maybe it's the tire going flat and it turns on the warning light. The, the, uh, the positive side for that system is you don't have the battery you have to worry about replacing in the tire. Um, so, so that you don't have that, that definite maintenance you're gonna have to perform. The downside is you might think you have more false alarms because the system is measuring the circumference of the, the tire. So if you bring home a load of bricks from the hardware store and there's it it's mm. changes the circumference of your rear tires slightly, the, the warning light may come on. And, and usually the cars that have that type of system actually have a button on the dash or an infotainment system to, to reset the, uh, the TPMS system. But the system has the plus side of you are measuring the circumference of the tires. So it, it can detect if you have a tire that the belts break. And so one tire is a different shape than the others. Or if, if your grandson takes the, the car out and does burnouts and grinds all the tread off a couple of the tires, then it'll detect that. It'll say, hey, the, these tires aren't the same shape. And, and that can be really important, if you have, especially if you have an all-wheel drive vehicle, where if the tires aren't the same circumference, the, the vehicle may think, okay, this tire is slipping, and it'll constantly be applying some um, clutch system or something that'll, that'll put extra wear and tear on the all-wheel drive system. So you, you want the tires to all be identical in circumference. So it's beneficial there too. It's it, with the two systems, it's, it, it's good to remember with the one system, you're me actually measuring directly measuring the air pressure. And with the second system, you're measuring the, the uh, tire circumference. And, and then it, it sort of makes sense. I've had bad tires with both systems. And I can, I have a, an older Subaru that's got the wheel sensor system and it went off when we were about 30 miles from home. I found a service station that actually had an air pump. I had to go and buy a, a air gauge, which is, you know, I broke cardinal rule. You should always have one in your car. But, you know, I could see that it was uh, relatively, it was only down a little. It wasn't losing much. And I put air in it and got home and got the tire fixed. And then with the uh, PSI system, I actually had a uh, nail through a sidewall on an interstate. And I could tell by looking at the air pressure loss, I had maybe 10 minutes till I was going to be on the ground. It was going down about a pound a minute or a pound every half a minute. So I guess I prefer the more complicated system, even if it's going to cost me more money to maintain. But, you know, I've heard horror stories of people that didn't do what you suggest, which is buy these in advance and go into a tire store where you get in tire change and going in and paying 400 bucks a piece for them. So uh, I think that's really good advice to, to shop first. Yeah, yeah. On their side, you got to think that they have all these different vehicles coming in, and, right. and it's it's often well, okay, we have to go shop for these sensors, and, right. and then okay, we have to double the price because it's to cover our costs. And if they have to teach you, because a lot of people will be like, hey, you've got the warning lights on my dash, I'm not taking this car out of here until you fix that. And if they have to explain, well, just drive it ten miles, and it'll be, it'll turn itself off, or or it does have yeah. to be. Um, programmed, and then you'll, you'll expect that they're going to charge you for the the labor and time yeah. of doing that. And yeah, they're it, all it, they're all different. I find it. Not surprised. 
I've always had good luck with uh, tire pressure systems. I never really had any problems with them, but I do find it interesting that tire pressure, with all the technology that we have in cars now, it really comes down to having proper tire pressure in your cars. It's single. It's it's both the easiest maintenance item for everyone to do. You don't need any mechanical knowledge, but it's still the most neglected thing that people do. Hardly anybody still checks their tire pressures. And I think that these systems, while they're great, they're still a safety thing mm -hmm. to let you know when you have a major problem. Uh, it's not something to rely on. Like, I don't need to check my tire pressures now until the light. Right. So I think uh, it's important to remind people of that. Yeah, Tom alluded to it earlier about just kind of checking your owner's manual and as much of a pain as it can be. I mean, I've had so many people ask me questions about that light because there are the two different systems and a lot of them, they'll have just have the light come on. And then if you have to go in and reset the system, like we've had Hondas in the past where you have to like go through the, the, the menu to do it. Some people don't realize that and they're like, well, the light's still on. So I guess I should just keep putting more air in the tire until it goes off, but it, <laughs> it won't go off until you reset the system, you know, and that's something you should really check out or you'll end up with a tire with like 60 pounds of pressure in it. I've noticed also that the, the window where the light will come on with the PSI measuring systems seems to vary from vehicle to vehicle. You can be down four or five pounds in one car and the light will come on and you can be down 10 pounds in another before the light comes on, which begs to Greg's point about you've got to do that routine maintenance. Is there, are there any systems that take into account, because it's wintertime now, like temperature? Because obviously the, the PSI will change in your tires and then people will think they're low just because it's cold in the morning and then it'll fluctuate throughout the day. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. that, that no, I don't know of any systems that, that, that take that into account because the pressure has dropped. So you should check your tire pressure when, the, when it gets to be winter because it'll be, you'll have lower pressure when you start out. And you don't you don't want that uh, that lower pressure. There's another system that we're seeing increasingly on almost every vehicle we're getting in now, and I think it's going to be universal in very short order. And that's the automatic uh, start stop systems. And you, in in planning for this podcast, brought up a subject about these systems that I frankly did not know. So. You know, these are the systems in case people haven't bought a car in a long time. When you get to a stop sign, instead of wasting fuel while idling, it'll shut your engine off as soon as you motion towards the uh, or touch the uh, gas pedal and starts again. And, uh, you know, a lot of people hate them because they don't like the idea of that happening. And some you can shut off for a while and some you can. But Tom, kind of elaborate on what what's going on here and why is this something that people need to know about as far as routine maintenance? Like you said, it, it, the, some of the early systems and the whole idea can be annoying to drivers. So mm -hmm. the car companies have gone out of their way to make it, it tr transparent so you don't know the, the engine is turning off and restarting. The, the radio doesn't switch off. The lights don't dim. The, the heat doesn't turn off. The blower doesn't turn off. And, and to do that, they have to, something they, they do have to do is have extra battery power uh, to, to make it seamless so that the engine doesn't struggle to start um, or hesitate, no sign that you're, you're stopping and starting. So there's a couple ways to do that. One is to have an extra big battery. Um, you can have some sort of capacitor system that is storing energy, but a lot of new cars from varied manufacturers have two batteries. Hmm. So they'll, 
there'll be the battery, you open your hood or you open your trunk and you see, okay, that's the car battery. But you, there's a second battery that, that could be under that first battery. It could be in a different part of the trunk. It could be hidden somewhere in the car. So once again, it's good to check the owner's manual to see if you actually have two car batteries because the, the, uh, the warning light for the stop start system, which is usually a, a capital letter A with an arrow circling it, um, that warning light can make them on some battery related warning light or trouble code may be generated. And, and you'll you, you say, okay, I'll replace, I'll have the battery replaced or I'll replace the battery and, and the light doesn't turn off because it's actually the second battery that's having the problem. So once again, it's, it's read that owner's manual and not only read the owner's manual, um, a lot of cars come now with a, like a quick user guide. Yeah owner's manual. And I noticed like for the Jeep Wrangler, it says you have an, in the user guide, it says you have an enhanced battery. So you think, oh, that's great. You know, maybe it's got sparkles <laughs> on top or something, but you, you look at the, the huge owner's manual and, and it, it has a nice diagram that shows you, okay, you actually have a second battery that's located under the, the uh, main battery under the hood. So you need to check that out. And, and especially if you're doing like the Jeep Wrangler, you're putting um, extra lights on it doing yeah. some customizing and and you you think you've disconnected the electrical system by unplugging taking the uh, battery connector off the main battery but then you blow a fuse you, you maybe damage something because that um, second battery is connected in parallel so it's still powering the car so so it, it's always good if you're doing work electrical work on your car to have a voltmeter and check and make sure that the voltage is, is zero um, because you could also have a system that has some capacitors that are storing energy that need time to drain off um, before you do work uh, on the car like that. But yeah, once again, it's owner's manuals used to be that, okay, yeah, a 1975 isn't much different than a 1980. I'm not going to bother to read the owner's manual, but, but now you do have to start reading those things again. Is it, or is it something where like if, if your car does have the auto stop start function that there's a pretty good chance it does or are you, are you saying it's like kind of like split right now where some are using the capacitor and some are using the battery uh, yeah it's really split and it, it, there's no like the Chevy Malibu may have it but the Buick may not and you have BMWs Mercedes um, various Chryslers and Jeeps some models may have a second battery and some, some may not. So yeah, so you got to read the owner's manual. Brian, you have ever had any experience, good or bad, with the systems? And what do you think about them? Because you- uh, I'm probably one of the few people that like the system. Most people uh, seem to complain about them. They do. I like them. They, um, you know, it's a little weird if you're not used to it, but you get used to it pretty quickly. And I appreciate the- uh, better fuel economy they uh, provide and uh, good to know that there's a little more like everything else there's more to it than you know with the second battery uh, that's uh, good to know I'll make sure uh, <laughs> if I ever get a car yeah. new enough to have a auto start start system I will uh, I'll be sure to check all my batteries actually I'm a, I think we should good I need to go check because some of our long terms what does this second battery look like does it look like a regular uh, automotive battery or yeah, usually it, it looks like a, a smaller version of a mm. the, the normal battery, but not as small as like a motorcycle battery or something. Right. But yeah, they're called um, auxiliary batteries. Fascinating. Is term for them. Fascinating. Well, speaking of batteries, you just gave us a great segue. Um, one of the newest vehicles to be revealed 
uh, in the last uh, few weeks is the 2022 Chevrolet Bolt uh, EUV. This is the first all-electric utility uh, vehicle from General Motors, although we know there's plenty coming from uh, Chevrolet and Hummer and everything else. And uh, along with that, there's a, a, an update for the regular Bolt. Uh, who would like to start? Tell us a little bit. Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, EUV and what it is and what it isn't? I'll uh, jump in there. Yeah, I sat through many uh, briefings from GM about it. Um, it is a same chassis as the regular Bolt, uh, but it's six inches longer overall, three inches more rear seat legroom, which is the big, uh, the big thing. No all-wheel drive, so it doesn't uh, qualify as a utility in that sense. And, and definitely and more room inside. Uh, another addresses another big complaint uh, from Bolt uh, buyers is uh, no sunroof. Uh, you couldn't get in the Bolt. You can get a sunroof in the EUV, and uh, it shares some updates. The interior uh, is, I wouldn't say all new, but it's a big uh, change from the original Bolt. The regular uh, Bolt will get that same interior update as well. And uh, maybe- Can you give us an idea of what, uh, of what someone might notice is the biggest change? Um, definitely the rear seat legroom. Uh, it wasn't cramped in the bolt, but you know, it was a compact car type uh, rear seat space. This is more like a small utility vehicle as far as rear seat space. Uh, maybe even more significant than that is uh, pricing. Uh, they've lowered the pricing on all bolts uh, for 2022. So I, they had used up all the uh, government fuel mm. uh, economy rebates. Uh, so um, dealers were discounting them significantly to kind of make up for that. So now GM is, itself has lowered the prices to uh, keep it about the same price as it was with the rebates before. So. You know, there's a chance uh, that with the new administration in Washington, those uh, tax incentives will come back. So uh, people actually interested in buying an electric vehicle from any brand should stay up on that. Greg, any uh, input? I mean, you've spent as much time in, in the Bolt EV as the rest of us. You know, I, did, I forgot to ask you, Brian, have they come out with a range number yet? Um, there's The powertrain is the same as the Bolt. Uh, there's nothing new there, um, but it's a tiny increase like they did a couple of years ago when they bumped it up a little bit. Um, it's... I have it. It's 259 max for the EV mm -hmm. and 250 for the EUV. So yeah, like you said, Brian, I think they bumped it up like in 2020 or for the 2020 model year. So uh, it still hasn't hit that 300 uh, mile range yet, but uh, you know, it's still pretty stout compared to, you know, the early EVs. Yeah. yeah and one other thing it's, it'll be the first Chevy to get Cadillac super cruise. Mm. Um, but it, it is the, Current Cadillacs are getting like the next gen Super Cruise. This is still the first gen. Uh, so Cadillac still got, you know, uh, something a little more special, but it will first Chevrolet to get it anyway. Why don't you give people a quick primer on what a Super Cruise is compared to, it's a semi-autonomous system, but it's less and more of that. Um, you've had a lot more experience with me. You might be better than that, but so I, I would, uh, yeah. Why don't you do that? Well, a lot of the autonomous systems, I'm sorry I asked, right? A lot of the autonomous systems, or most of them, rely on sensors on the vehicle to guess what's on the road ahead, cameras and so forth. And Super Cruise always stood out because essentially it has main highways and roads programmed into it. 
So it's following, essentially following a map. And because of that, it has some limitations. It hasn't always worked very well in construction zones and so forth. But my experience in using it is that it's actually worked far better uh, on normal interstates than the sensors that just rely on cameras and LIDAR and so forth, primarily because so many of the interstates have poor markings and they change from one road surface to the other and it can confuse the sensors where supercruise, as long as you're on, you know, I-70, it knows what I-70 is and it's following. And I've been able to drive it and be more comfortable in driving it than any other system I've, I've tried today. So. Yeah, they actually, I wouldn't say encourage, but they promote that you don't have to have your hands on the wheel. I would there, there's a camera constantly looking at you and it will tell you to do that if you do it for extended period of time. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's probably a, another battery in this car that runs it <laughs> that I didn't know about. Do you, do you have any information on that, Tom? No, no. Uh, I haven't been briefed on the Bolt yet. What, what about these systems, Tom? Is there any maintenance there? You know, electric cars in general, is it still too new for the aftermarket to get involved? Or are you finding, you know, there are certain smaller parts that need servicing that people don't know about? Any input? Um, well, yeah, actually, the, the hybrid electrics have been around for a long yeah. time now, 20 years. So, so yeah, like replacement, uh, remanufactured batteries are available. The, the main uh, giant batteries for Priuses and, and other hybrids. Um, the Prius, for example, has a cooling fan that sucks in air next to the back seat and, and blows to, to cool the, the battery um, in the rear. And, and that often fills with lint and, and or dog hair or whatever, and, and it'll clog up. And that's, a, that, that's something to check is, is uh, make sure that vent next to the back seat isn't, isn't clogged so it doesn't, uh, the battery doesn't get hot and you don't damage, eventually damage the fan. Um, so yeah, as, as the current day, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, we get this question all the time. People are afraid to buy electric vehicles in general and even used hybrids because they think the battery's going to go out. And of course they've got a, a long warranty on them, but in your experience, say taking the Prius, have you seen a lot of battery replacement? Um, well, yeah, you just need to factor it into the, the cost of the car compared to other used cars, um, like a, a conventional car, you're going to have to replace the engine or the transmission. It's, it's, it's a you know, several thousand dollar expense, but if you're factoring that in when you buy the car, then, and you know, okay, once I replace that, I'm going to get another, you know, 80,000 miles or whatever, then you just factor it in. And you can see that with a lot of hybrid vehicles. Um, searching classified ads, it's like the, the hybrid may be cheaper because, okay, it's going to need that, that new that battery pack. Mm -hmm. but, but I'm not, I don't know yet about the hundred percent electric. If, you know, those batteries are, are significantly bigger and, and more costly to replace. And, and, and I don't, I, I don't know if anybody knows what they're, how long they last yet. So no, I don't think so. With, with those, you also battery products, with, with a gasoline powered car, you can kind of, time has its effect on it, but you can, I'm still driving my, my 50 year old car, um, but batteries, you know, even if you don't drive it, even if it's got 10,000 miles on it, you know, the battery isn't going to last forever. So that, that's something else to think about is if you get a, a battery powered car, you probably want to have that be your, 
the one you're putting the miles on quickest. It does seem to me that and we could spend several podcasts talking about the future and what it's going to mean and are people really going to be buying uh, all the electric vehicles that the, the uh, various governments around the world seem to want to force everyone into. So it's going to be a fascinating next uh, decade, really. Yep. Uh, and somebody needs to go talk to the Canadians and the people in Minnesota. And yeah. when it's 40 below, you know, the, like they'll advertise that, you know, this is good and minus 10 or minus 20. And it's like, well, yeah, it's 40 below here in Minnesota. What do we That's do? Right. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be for the uh, regulators. It's probably going to be two steps forward and one step back uh, for a long time, which is what we've always seen with fuel economy uh, situations and rules. Well, let's move on to our lightning round. And uh, Tom, in the old days, we used to limit everybody's discussion, but now we don't do that anymore. But here it goes. The seventh generation Porsche 911 GT3, a magnificent uh, automobile, has just been released and it continues to use a naturally aspirated flat six engine as it always has. Uh, with the last version, we thought they may have reached their limits for a naturally aspirated GT3 but it's back with a little bit more horsepower than it had before. So the question is, is this the last of the vaulted 911 GT3s? Anybody got insight? Yeah, well, I actually was at the, well, virtually at the presentation yesterday and they, they made a point because people were asking, you know, did you consider a turbo engine because all regular 911s are turboed, uh, GT2 RS, the, the previous gen was turboed. Um, you know, eventually, are they going to have to boot the naturally aspirated out of the GT3? And they said they're just going to push it as long as they can possibly push it. And I take them at their word because Porsche will do that because I think they're the GT3, as much as it's about performance, it's about emotion and soul of the car. Mm -hmm. And I think they, that Porsche, you know, maybe above some other automakers really try to keep that in their cars. So uh, I'm going to say it's not the last turbo, or I'm sorry, not the last naturally aspirated naturally GT3. I think they're just going to keep stretching it out. And, you know, they have the GT2 RS if they want to turbo it and put it up to 700. Eventually they're going to go to 800 horsepower, I'm sure. So just keep the GT3 naturally aspirated. Yeah, I would say as long as there's uh, a you know race team and as long as this is the basis for their uh, race cars it's going to stay naturally aspirated because they much prefer that as far as getting power out of it uh cheaply and uh as far as durability for all the uh 24 hour and 12 races 12 hour races they do so uh yeah i i don't think it'll go away anytime soon and i'm glad for that fact. well it, it's also like how it kind of puts them in that like creative box where well how can we shave time off of it while keeping and they only pumped it up by like two horsepower but it ran a sub seven minute Nürburgring time so mm. that's just yeah. that through they, they did a completely new front suspension double wishbone front uh, they're shaving weight at like every possible way they can they're shaving weight and it's just it's cool how they find other ways to make it faster you know I get the same kind of question about the uh, the Hellcats over at uh, you know uh, I want to keep on to say FCA over at the former Chrysler folks. Stalantis. They look at the Challenger and, and of course now we've got it in the Jeeps and so forth. Um, we, we were just driving the, the, the Dodge Durango Hellcat 700 horsepower and everybody says, well, when are they going away? And, you know, my viewpoint is that 
even if the government comes in with some kind of a system, unless they say no more, you know, light duty uh, internal combustion engines, which I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, at least nationally, uh, even if California goes that way. Um, it seems to me they'll be they'll put in credits. So if you make a certain number of electric vehicles, you can offset, you know, some non-electrics. I just can't see that total performance vehicle completely vanishing, either in this country or the world. And you know, Porsche in Europe, uh, the Hellcats here, and you know, things like the Shelbys. I don't know, Tom. Any from your perspective, having to plan for the future uh, as a part supplier. What do you think? You know, I think so far the the pickup trucks and the performance vehicles are subsidizing the electric vehicles. Yeah, that, that's that's where Tesla is getting its money is with fuel credits. So I think that's still the plan. It, it's GM, GM is going to have the uh, the electric Hummer truck. So, so there it's like okay, we're killing two birds with one stone. We've got a, a truck, a high margin truck that that is electric. So we don't we don't have to buy credits from Tesla. But I think there'll still be a lot of gas-powered cars that are subsidizing electric cars for quite a while. I noticed that Ford has now said by 2030, they're going to be selling all electric vehicles in, in Europe. Um, I guess we'll see. I, I must say, I just don't think the countries are ready for a mandate. And if we do get it, then if there's a change in administration, maybe it may go back, just like we saw it last time. So. Uh, people don't realize to get to the fuel economy standards that we have in place today, it took about two to three times longer than all the regulators thought it would because of politics, if nothing else. And also the fact that people just didn't want them. So there's gonna be, have to be a lot more acceptance uh, in the general public, I think. You can't force people to buy stuff. And um, the other thing is it's gonna do wonders for the used car market if they, do put those kind of restrictions in place. So. Wonders for the used car market. And just to be the cynic that I constantly am, the more you say uh, gas cars are going away, the more people are going to want to buy them. Right. Uh, just like every time they talk about, you know, gun bans coming, everyone goes out and buys guns. Similar situation. Right. Everyone says it's going to be all electric by 2025. Everyone's going to go out and, and buy a car. So while they can get one. Yeah, I think you're absolutely so one. They're going to keep saying that they're going to keep saying that they're until, you know, until we actually have to follow through with that. Mm -hmm. That's what I keep telling my wife is why we need to have one more car in the yard. It's, it's an investment. It's, it's good. Just going to appreciate as it sits there. Yeah, that's a good point. We have also a viewer question today, and this comes from Denny from Texas. And if there's any place that's going to be a holdout for internal combustion engines, it's probably going to be Texas. But this is about something I don't think we've ever really talked about on a podcast. He says, I recently purchased a dash camera for my vehicle. While trying to find the perfect placement for the camera, I started wondering if any auto manufacturers offer a dash cam built into the rear view mirror area. If not, why not? I don't understand why the auto industry isn't jumping into this market. I would consider it a safety issue that drivers and insurance companies would love to see implemented. Anyone have any thoughts on this? As always, it comes down to lawyers. They're just screwing <laughs> everything up. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm, well, um, John, you know, you kind of enlightened me. I, I didn't they don't really advertise it. You know, you have performance cameras on the front of the Corvette. Uh, you have 
cameras for safety things. You have them out back for um, companies who are using rear view cameras, not rear view mirrors, but the actual cameras. Right. So there are cameras available, but it's the whole, like who gets the footage. And that's, that's where the issues come in the legality. I did a little bit of quick Googling on, on the uh, question. And what I found is like seven or eight manufacturers actually are for safety purposes to record things like the last 20 seconds of an accident. Some allow the cameras to be accessed at other times, others don't. Very little information is available about them being used for anything other than a safety system in the owner's manuals. Uh, and the reason seems to be what you touched on, legal issues. Some states, it's not legal to record video of somebody else without their permission uh, because every state has different rules. So there seems to be all sorts of, uh, if not privacy, at least permission issues that the manufacturers would have to overcome before they would do this as a blanket. Uh, there's one Toyota vehicle that's got one uh, that can be used fairly normally in Canada, but it's not on their U.S. vehicles. And I think the same might be true for Lexus. Uh, Tom, you had some insight into this too, uh, didn't you? Yeah, the, uh, the the insurance companies would also like us to have plug something into the OBD2 port or have a separate little unit that that records our, our speeding and braking yeah. and and where we're located, and that they they'll offer lower insurance rates if you put that in your car. But that very few drivers have actually accepted that, agreed to that, because it, it sounds good at first, but then you start thinking about it, and it's it, it's it just seems like it might be just too big of an invasion of privacy and, and just not knowing if the data will ever go away. Okay, well, I'm, I'm the virtuous, perfect driver, but what if my my son borrows the car and checks out his top speed? Will that go on his permanent record and come back and haunt him, you know, 10 years from now? Hard to say. Yeah. I, I think about like the Google, remember Google Glass? which I think is still around in some form where we all have cameras on our glasses. And yeah. it's like at first, oh, that sounds kind of good. And then you think about it and it's like, oh, that's a little crazy. Right? So. Yeah, I'll just be careful what you wish for. I mean, like everything else these days, um, I just always assume you're on camera somehow. A lot of cars have Subaru, uh, GM. They got cameras inside the car looking at the driver. Yeah. Um, so uh, for, for the two or three ways that that may help you out. I can think of 10 ways that it would probably not be to your benefit. So just be, you know, just assume that you're always on camera and you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for. That's, that's yeah. great by words. Go ahead. Do you have something? I was to gonna, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's, it's, I think you have to remind yourself it's a two way street. So as much as it can work for you, it can very easily work against yeah. you in ways you didn't even imagine. Yeah, well, cars always represented freedom. It's like, let's go jump in the convertible and take our six surveillance cameras out and cruise the road. You know, it's, it just doesn't have the same ring to it. It's... Let's think about, think about when you were a bit younger, is there are certain things that you would like not to have had recorded while you no, were driving no. a car? I'll tell you one way to make it catch on for at least my generation and younger is if you could upload it directly to Instagram or whatever app people are using. I'm sure I'm already late. Instagram's for old people, I'm sure. But yes. whatever the next hot app is, if you can uh, upload it directly there, they'll be set. Okay, well, that brings us to a close for our Motory Podcast 249. Tom, thank you very much for coming on as our 
online parts expert and just really just an amazing wealth of knowledge about, uh, I mean, we test the cars, but we only see them from the surface. And you, you, it's like you have x-ray vision there, man. And uh, Brian, thanks very much for all of your insights as always. Greg, it's always great to have you on one of the podcasts. And to all of you out there, thanks very much for being a part of our podcast. Remember, if you're looking for MotorWeek, the television series, go to our uh, MotorWeek website at motorweek.org. Click up on the right when it says about the show. You can put in your zip code and find out which public television station is showing us in, in your area and the times. Uh, check out us on Tuesday nights and really all week long over on the Motor Trend Cable Channel. Or we invite you to head over to our uh, youtube.com slash motorweek channel where you can see everything we do and take advantage of a lot of our retro road tests. Basically, if you've got a screen, you can watch Motorweek. And that brings us to the point where I say thank you all for being a part of MotorWeek. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.